Thanks for joining. We're going to give it another minute or so. Let people keep trickling in. Austin, is that you on the Omni Network account? Yes, sir. Very cool. All right. Then it looks like we've got all our speakers here. Cool. So my name is Red. I am a research analyst over at Masari. Uh, I cover base layers and some interoperability stuff. But the exciting part of today is we're going to be talking about some new things going on with Injective and uh, Omni, and I've got on a speaker from each. So would y'all like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, sure thing, Mirza. You want to kick it off? Yeah, happy to. Um, so hey, everyone. This is Mirza. I run the business team here at Injective. Uh, I've been here for four years now. Um, as a quick intro, Injective is a layer one blockchain, primarily focused on finance. A um, couple of things make us quite different. So one is the fact that we have a number of unique Web3 modules on top of Injective. You can sort of think of this as almost like a WordPress for crypto, where we provide new templates, such as the world's first on-chain order book, options module, and much more um, that you can sort of just plug and play to create your applications, whether that be within DeFi or anything touching sort of broadly Web3 finance categories. Um, it just like very much reduces time to launch for many DApp developers um, and also just ensures that um, efficiency and testing can happen much quicker than on other protocols today. Um, on top of that, Injective right now is also one of the fastest growing blockchains in terms of user count activity. Um, and we also have made a number of different performance enhancements um, on the chain level itself to reduce gas fees effectively down to zero um, and also to make block times one of the fastest in the space. So yeah, excited to chat more primarily about sort of like some of the work we're doing with Omni um, and Interop in general. Cool. Thanks, Mirza. Uh, I'll follow that up. So hey, everybody, I'm Austin. I'm a co-founder of the Omni Network. Um, and Omni really exists for uh, a singular purpose, and that is to solve the existential threat facing Ethereum of fragmentation. So we started working on Ethereum or on Omni about a year and a half ago. Uh, at this point, you know, rollups were starting to get some attention and activity, um, but we saw really that it, what the logical conclusion of a rollup centric roadmap would lead to, um, and there wasn't a solution that really would tie all these different rollups together. So we're at a place today where we can see it out in the wild where they've gotten a decent amount of traction, uh, but they're creating siloed ecosystems. And this is really degrading the uh, really nice global network effects that Ethereum previously had. So um, what is Omni? Omni, it's a distributed network and it, it acts as an extension to the core Ethereum network to facilitate rapid and secure interoperability across all rollups. Um, and so what do I mean when I say it's an extension of the core Ethereum network? Uh, it's actually run by Ethereum validators themselves. So. Uh, Omni, basically, uh, the way that these validators join the network is they can opt into additional responsibilities to attest to uh, state updates from these different layer twos. And what this allows us to do is drive crypto economic security directly from uh, the core Ethereum network itself, uh, while kind of expanding the functionality of the core network so that we can have this interoperability layer uh, across all the different L2s here. Uh, excited to be here today and yeah, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Thanks, Mirza. Thanks, Austin. So uh, with that in mind, what we're going to get into today is going to be some interoperability, as you know, both of our speakers just mentioned that. We're going to talk about things like real-world assets and you know, some use cases here, uh, VM differences in a couple different ways, and then where the ecosystem has been, where it is now, where it, where's it going. And if you have any questions that you know, come to mind while you're listening, just write them down. Because at the end of this, we're going to give some time so you can hop up here uh, as a speaker and you know ask your question 
after we run through some of these topics. So yeah, write those down. Don't forget them. We'll be talking for maybe a half hour or so. But what we're going to start with is the Open Liquidity Network. So um, we got a word on that, but Austin, maybe you want to give a little bit more of an overview on what that is and then some of the EIPs that are involved with it. Yeah, 100%. So uh, it's important to understand uh, what is Omni, what is the Open Liquidity Network. So Omni is a network purpose-built to relay messages across different smart contract platforms. The Open Liquidity Network really is this vision of where we want to take the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, and this is establishing a neutral open framework that ties all these rollups together. So, you know, we are building a product that is purpose-built to facilitate a lot of this. Uh, but fundamentally, it's our belief that uh, no singular solution is going to be able to create, uh, is going to be the global solution for Ethereum that actually has to be neutral. Um, it's the same way the internet evolved. You know, we had like America Online and it was this like proprietary network where people could link in. That's kind of the strategy that various interoperability networks have taken so far. What we need though is an open suite of standards like TCP IP and HTTP for everybody to work and collaborate together. And so that's really the concept of the open liquidity network. It's a suite of open standards that allow all these rollups to work together. Um, and so, uh, like I said, Omni is something that relays messages across all these different uh, domains using these EIPs. But at large, um, this is really our main initiative right now. And we think it's the best way to solve this problem uh, that's facing the Ethereum ecosystem, both uh, in the short term here, but also uh, in the long term. Because uh, if you don't establish something that is open and neutral, then what you're going to run into is you're effectively baking uh, existential risk into the rest of the ecosystem based upon an interoperability solution. And, uh, you know, even though we've innovated on the security model for Omni, uh, securing interoperability networks is one of the hardest things to do in the space. And so um, it's just simply like a poor abstraction design to bake any of that natively into these rollups. So at large, that's kind of the main initiative that we're pushing right now. And one of these EIPs is EIP 7281. Um, some of you in the audience might know it is XERC20. Uh, and this is what we announced recently with Injective. But Basically, it's this concept of uh, it kind of like deprecates bridges from uh, a simple perspective. What this is, it's a way for asset issuers to make their token uh, natively available across uh, different smart contract platforms without causing fragmentation. And also has this really nice property uh, where you don't need to maintain liquidity pools in these different smart contract platforms either. It can just basically be natively teleported across these different rollups. Uh, and so this is uh, one of the open standards that we're promoting within the open liquidity network. Um, and yeah, happy to dig in a bit further uh, later in this conversation. But uh, yeah, that's kind of an overview of the open liquidity network idea at large. Awesome, thanks. And yeah, XR, XERC20 would be huge if you get everyone adopting a standard like this. I'm, this is kind of in the direction of all these teams wanting to build intent-centric DEXs and just other architectures and other frameworks where you don't need to worry about all that fragmentation. Mm -hmm. So Austin, I'm going to jump to you here and ask, how would you say viewers should, you know, think about the open liquidity network? Uh, what are, you know, what are the roles this is really going to touch and change? Uh, whether, you know, maybe it's best for developers or users really going to benefit from it? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, like, this is going to benefit smart contract platforms themselves, whether uh, they're, like, uh, yeah, any of these rollups is going to benefit developers because you can actually create substantially better developer interfaces for it. And it has end user facing impacts as well. So like end users will benefit from this. So just kind of clicking into each of those here. Um, let's like like talk about the uh, clear benefits with XERC20. So, um, you know, starting at the end there, end users, XERC20, uh, it's zero slippage. Like you just want to move a token, XERC permits you uh, to do that with zero slippage. So historically, we've had to set up these liquidity pools, and it's not only been costly for token issuers to maintain these liquidity pools, they have to emit constant incentives to maintain them. Uh, but it's also just not a great user experience because sometimes people will transfer a token and they're just going to lose some amount of that token. XERC20 is a way that allows people to migrate that token. And if they send 10 tokens, they're going to get 10 tokens on the other side. They don't have to think about any of this complexity. Uh, for developers, it's simply a much easier thing to program with. It effectively just moves it to like moves the developer interface to move token rather than, okay, talk to this one smart contract, enact uh, a swap over here, 
transfer that token over to another smart contract platform and act another swap over there and then get the output token. So, you know, we're talking about like multiple steps of logic there that a developer has to think about, which also introduces a surface area for uh, hacks. And so the simpler you can make it to actually build applications, the better uh, at large, but especially in crypto where you can, uh, where you're programming money. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of high level, the benefits here. Some of the alternatives we've seen, I've touched on the economic-based solutions, uh, but one of the most fundamental things to communicate here about XERC20 is that it puts power where the power should be, uh, in the hands of asset issuers at large. So historically, we've seen this kind of weird paradigm where different uh, smart contract platforms or asset issuers kind of like bend the knee to interoperability solutions and their tokens become uh, derivatives of those interoperability solutions. So you've probably seen this out in the wild. There's like, uh, they're often called standards, but that's more marketing than anything because it's still a proprietary standard. And this is kind of shown, you know, like generally they have some like prefix on the token. Uh, so uh, the risk there is that if that interoperability solution is compromised, uh, the token is screwed uh, because if that is compromised, they can just effectively mint an infinite amount of tokens and dump that on an exchange. So it brings huge risk into the actual projects adopting that standard. And uh, you can't really swap out of it long-term. XERC20 gives the asset issuers in this example the power to swap out bridges uh, or like interoperability networks anytime they want uh, in the future if one of them gets compromised. It also has really nice Web2-like functionality uh, like rate limiting. So I could go on this for a while, but that's kind of like XERC20 is the first one that we're really driving here. Um, and it it's just like a substantially better product experience both for end users, uh, developers, and uh, for the actual asset issuers themselves. Yeah, that's great. Making it easy for the asset issuers is <laughs> really important to actually get them on board and want to, you know, switch over and use this standard. So uh, I'm going to pivot a little bit here to interoperability, which, you know, we've been talking about a lot, but I want to talk about specifically uh, some of the choices behind it. So Injective is built with some Cosmos technologies, uh, you know, that's built with Cosmos SDK and um, some other tools in that app chain thesis. But Injective is interoperable with Ethereum, which is where, you know, really all of the liquidity is. So uh, can we, you know, jump into a little bit of the decision making on, uh, you know, why interop with Ethereum, um, how interop with Ethereum? Yeah, for sure. Um, so effectively, many people don't know this, but historically, Injective actually started as an Ethereum project. Uh, this is back in 2018 and 19. Um, we ran into some uh, scalability bottlenecks and had to switch over to the Cosmos SDK just because we required a very uh, bespoke solution just to achieve certain benchmarks for aspects such as trading, et cetera, that required way better scalability, way lower fees. Um, but ultimately, I agree with you. Like, I think most liquidity, even to this day, um, and most developer mindshare rests on Ethereum. So we wanted to make sure that Ethereum compatibility was achieved day one. So even though we built within Cosmos, we were always extremely Ethereum-centric. Uh, there are a couple of ways we achieve interop with Ethereum. So the most basic way is when, um, when you come on to Injective, you can actually use any of the applications using MetaMask because we invented a very unique signing scheme where you don't even have to swap out the network on MetaMask to be able to uh, sort of use. And this goes for more than just MetaMask. It could be any Ethereum wallet. Um, so effectively, the users coming on from Ethereum to Injective don't really know that they even have to switch networks. They just see that they're paying way lower fees. Transactions are going through much faster. But yeah, th this is something even L2s can't really do today, where you do, obviously, if you use an L2 network, you have to swap out the network on your MetaMask. Uh, but with Injective, you can just stay on the Ethereum network. So I know that's not like directly interop, but it adds to it because the real interop we built is we built the first real bridge uh, from the Cosmos ecosystem to Ethereum. So this was an extension of what's known as the gravity bridge. Um, so that bridge has to date facilitated billions of dollars in flows uh, between the Cosmos ecosystem um, and, and Ethereum uh, via Injecto, of course. So the reason it was very important is a lot of the native assets, such as, let's say, stables, et cetera, um, none of the bridges existed when Injective came out. Today, of course, you have things like very cool solutions like Wormhole and Axlar, but none of these solutions even existed. So we were really the only conduit to come into um, Cosmos community from Ethereum. Um, and yeah, uh, that's 
on a high level how interop was achieved like both from a usability perspective from a bitch perspective um and, and it was really cool because after we started building this um we inspired a lot of the other uh, ecosystem to adopt this tech so a lot of other evm compatible chains today like let's say barachain Evmos, they all actually utilize um our metamask work and the work we did with uh eip sort of signing schemes um and also the grid solutions that we did um so yeah, really cool to see that Cosmos and Ethereum are coming together more and more. Yeah, awesome. It's great to hear too how a lot of these ideas were kind of planned from the start. I mean, the future is definitely multi-chain. We can't really just live in one ecosystem. So uh, awesome to hear that. And Austin, from the Omni side, I mean, interoperability is kind of the name of the game for y'all at Omni. So maybe a little bit of a, a deeper look at it. And one thing that I think helps with understanding, you know, a very technical process like this is maybe anchor it to some existing knowledge. So, you know, maybe where Omni would fit in between a bridge and an overlay network, like an XLR layer zero type of thing, or where it fits in in the suite of diverse interoperability and bridging tools that we have today. Sure thing. So, um, yeah, I. That really, I got into crypto uh, in 2017, and uh, one of the fundamental beliefs I've had since the beginning uh, is that there are going to be a, a diverse array of platforms out there. Um, and so I actually started building uh, my first company in 2018 that I ran for a couple of years, and that was also building an interop network at that time, actually specifically an interop network that was connecting different L2 platforms. Uh, the difference is at that time, L2 uh, meant things like uh, Lightning Network. It was actually state channel based uh, solution. So uh, this was actually like the company or the network that I built at that time was called Interledger and it was extremely uh, performant and connected disparate uh, blockchain solutions. So we could process payments uh, from Ethereum to Bitcoin uh, and extremely uh, efficient, like we processed 10 billion payments before I sold this company. So. Uh, the main constraint there with those solutions, though, was these were payments. Uh, these were not Turing complete uh, function calls, which is really kind of where rollups come into the scene. We've realized that the really exciting part about these crypto systems is not only the ability to move money around, but it's to move the uh, to move money around in a programmatic fashion, so we can create more complex applications like DeFi. So to get into uh, the Omni architecture at large. Really the key innovation uh, that you need to understand here is we innovated on security. Um, uh, there's really like three variables that you care about with an interoperability network. There's security, uh, there is speed, and there is price. At the end of the day, like these, those are the things that like every interoperability network is trying to innovate uh, or like provide the best experience on. And so Omni does a fantastic job on all these. Um, with the huge differentiator being that we innovated on the security model in the sense that uh, we are able to drive crypto economic security directly from Ethereum itself. Um, so without getting too technical, I'm going to like walk through what that actually looks like. So we have this giant pool uh, of security today that is securing the Ethereum network. Effectively, what Omni does it is uh, that it incentivizes, it incentivizes existing Ethereum validators to opt into additional responsibilities. Uh, and those additional responsibilities are monitoring state updates from rollups. So basically, we get a subset of the Ethereum network and the capital securing the Ethereum network to opt into this additional job of looking at these L2s and seeing what's going on with them and like monitoring those state updates. So what this allows us to do is create this auxiliary network to the core Ethereum network <clears throat> that has a pool of crypto economic security so we can have high... Uh, like confidence in all these state updates that are happening, but have this like meta layer around the entire Ethereum ecosystem where we can see the state updates that are happening across all these different L2s. So uh, what this allows us to do is relay messages across rollups uh, very quickly and in a very secure way. So that really is like one of the key innovations here. And we, you know, I don't know if people in the audience uh, are like deeper into kind of like the restaking narrative, but uh, yeah, that's the mechanism through which we derive security uh, for this network. And this gives us, uh, scalability far beyond anything that we've been able to see before because, uh, you know, you asked about Axlar, so I'll just directly compare it to Axlar. Um, Axlar, for example, is secured uh, with the AXL token. Um, and so necessarily the 
amount of security that that network uh, can provide is capped by the AXL token. So Omni actually, uh, and I think that's about like a billion fully diluted valuation today, uh, because Omni is actually directly uh, leveraging the security of Ethereum itself, we get scalability. I don't know what the market cap of Ethereum is today, but I think it's like 200 billion. So literally it's like multiple orders of magnitude greater than other solutions that we've been out, uh, able to see built before. And this really comes from just like leveraging what is working. We have this existing massive pool of security. And so we can leverage that uh, to actually uh, solve one of the key problems that exists within that ecosystem itself, which is the fragmentation caused by rollups. Um, you also asked about like compared it uh, to a bridge. In my opinion, a bridge is, uh, it's kind of just like a go-to-market strategy for an interop network. Uh, at the end of the day, an interop network is something that monitors state updates from one smart contract platform and relays them elsewhere. I think, uh, you know, we kind of saw like a DeFi frenzy uh, a few years ago and a number of these interop networks identified that they wanted to go to market as a bridge. Uh, Omni is not a bridge. We're building things like uh, and promoting standards like XCRC20, which from our perspective, just deprecate bridges uh, entirely. So Omni is an interop network. And it's really focused on just providing the best uh, performance properties as we step into this more uh, open liquidity network era. Awesome. Yeah, it's much more ambitious than making a bridge to create something that you know, it is listening to both networks and kind of sitting underneath. I do find the, I mean, there is a network called Layer Zero, but the concept of a Layer Zero to be sort of helpful in wrapping your head around, uh, you know, what some of these interop networks really do, because th that is the goal to be, you know, almost sitting underneath. Um, we're going to jump back to Injective here, and we're going to talk about Volan a bit. So... Mirza, I want to ask you about RWAs, which if you're not familiar, listeners, it's real-world assets. Uh, that's you know a topic that has been getting a bit of buzz just because TradFi is getting involved with some crypto stuff, and uh, real-world assets is kind of TradFi's game. You know, that's something like a treasury or a traditional financial asset, or even you know actually uh, physical, tangible uh, assets in the real world, but. I want to ask a bit about Volan and that RWA module that was introduced. Um, you know, maybe a quick overview on it. Uh, how does it work there? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, yeah, about a week and a half ago now, we went live with what, it, in my opinion, is the biggest injective mainnet upgrade to date called the Volan upgrade. Um, effectively, what we wanted to introduce is an RWA module on chain. So at the beginning of this conversation, I was sort of chatting about how Injective has all these really nifty modules that you can plug and play together um, to build different sort of applications of your choice, different DeFi apps of your choice. Um, the reason we built this RWA module, and I'll explain how it works in practice, is Injective has actually been in this space for a long, long time, um, even before the word RWA sort of became a buzzword back in 2020, early 2021. Uh, we were launching even on our testnet back in the day, things like tokenized GameStop stock or tokenized FX. Um, and we saw immense traction for those asset classes. Um, one thing that has now entered the market that wasn't there before, and, and you're correct on this, are institutions. And institutions, you'll quickly find, don't actually care much about the tokenization of the asset itself. What they actually care about is accessing tokenized assets in a compliant manner. Um, that's what was missing before, right? So basically, yes, tokenization of assets itself from a technological perspective is actually quite easy. Uh, there are many ways to do it. Either you can work with a custodian, um, you can get a price feed from popular oracles on Injective today, like Pith, uh, launch, launch a market for that asset, and boom, you have like FX on chain, you have commodities on chain. Synthetically, if you're using a custodian technically, that's a tokenized version of the real world asset. Um, so that part is actually like simpler than it seems. Uh, what's hard is to get these sort of TradFi uh, players or these larger sort of even Web3 institutions, right? Like the jumps of the world or the galaxies of the world to come on chain and trade these assets because um, they're highly regulated assets, right? So when you trade crypto assets, yes, um, many of them are utility tokens, et cetera. But obviously if you're touching things like FX or anything else, they're very much securities, right? Um, regardless of what you might say. So effectively how this works is Injective worked with a lot of um, these major players that are integrated with us. So like 
people like Galaxy and Jump were integrated with our chain and sort of trade on their daily, the crypto assets on the chain, but they wanted to be able to have a compliant way to access tokenized sort of real world assets. Um, so what the RW module does in a very, very simple sense is it allows anyone to come in and issue tokens that are compliant. So effectively, what you do is you can go through uh, you can add in KYC providers of your choice and set bespoke sort of uh, parameters on it. So let's say it's like, okay, I am Jump. I'm issuing a tokenized um, euro on Injective, and I only want people who have passed XYZ KYC thresholds. Um, they're not a citizen of the US, and they have an AUM of over $50 million, right? So you can set parameters like that using the permissions module very quickly. Like you don't have to even do anything quite technical to just set up these params. Um, and you go in and then you as Jump can now issue that asset. And yes, you might not know who your counterparty is, but you can rest assured that your counterparty is not from, let's say an OFAC sanctioned nation, such as North Korea. And you can know that, okay, this other counterparty has the parameters I set, such as having $50 million in AUM. Um, so this ensures that the asset is not only listed in in a way where institutions can access it but institutions now can actually trade in size because there's no sort of regulatory overhang on top of them because they've been able to go through the correct uh procedure process um and the beauty of this is you are able to do this on the injective chain um without having like some sort of um sub chain or any other format of of permissionness so effectively what this does is you issue an asset, so let's say you issued that tokenized euro, and now only people who have a whitelisted address are able to access that asset. So even though Injective is a typical L1 blockchain where anyone can, of course, freely enter, but let's say I myself have not gone through that KYC process and I don't match those parameters that jump set, I will not be able to access that asset. I can do other things on Injective or access other dApps. But that asset itself, I can't access. Um, and, and the cool part about this is the institutions now have a higher degree of capital efficiency because now they can go in and out. So guys like Jump or guys like Galaxy can access the compliant assets and the sort of like free assets that's available for the public, like let's say Ethereum or Bitcoin professionals, and they can sort of uh, create very sophisticated trading strategies and just have much more capital efficiency um, rather than have to like go uh go to a different subchain or something else which is what most sort of major blockchains are doing today where they create like a sub network that's permission rather than having permissioning on the native chain itself so yeah i hope that sort of like encapsulates the main view but that's why we're very excited about volan in general and what what we believe will be a very very good product for the rw market moving forward yeah volan is huge i mean meeting issuers and institutions halfway and kind of taking away the maybe uncertain part for them, which is compliance is massive because we have a lot of these institutions that I'm sure would be involved if there was more clarity, if they didn't risk, you know, being in an SEC courtroom. So if you kind of do some of the hard work for them and say, you know, hey, here are some, you know, training wheels and you can get on and you can make this as restrictive as you want to start, which you know, isn't really that unusual uh, in the crypto world. I mean, even, you know, USDC and a lot of stable coins, you know, Circle can blacklist people if they want. Like this isn't some crazy revolutionary thing in terms of adding some of these restrictions or at least making it a little more flexible in terms of how you want to position your assets that you, you know, are issuing and creating. But it really does take away a lot of the hard work for people that want to come in and build these things. So very cool. Excited to see what gets built with that. And uh, Austin, I know you and Omni, you guys were talking about this last week as well, right? Yeah, 100%. We hosted uh, an AMA last week. Uh, yeah, with some teams, uh, you know, the Injective team was there. We also had Vanek, uh, Polygon, Arbitrum. Uh, yeah, a number, a number of teams are, because this has become a huge trend in the industry. Awesome. Can you give us the latest on what the open standards are? Yeah. Yeah. And as Mirza was talking, it's actually quite interesting thinking about um, specifically how the modules on Injective improve the developer experience, how you get these things out of the box, because uh, really that's what 
the whole concept is with this open liquidity network, it's like not only establishing this in an open and neutral way, but really it's improving the developer experience here. And so, uh, you know, Mirza touched on the I, <clears throat> facilitating it so that we can get assets issued onto these crypto networks easier. Uh, I want to talk about one thing that is kind of like, okay, once we have that, like what is like further progress we can make? And so specifically, uh, this is a new EIP that expands uh, the standard like yield bearing vault interface so you know this is that's called erc 4626 it's been around for quite some time now and so really what has happened in the DeFi industry is uh we started to compound things you know when people talk about these as money legos uh and so one thing that has become very important as we're stacking these money legos on top of one another is creating a standard interface for claiming yield uh, on these different positions. And so uh, this was brought up, I think, about like two years ago now. It was originally uh, built by the Fay team, but it's become a standard across the industry for uh, just the standard way that developers can claim yield uh, as they are interacting with these different DeFi protocols. More recently, there has been a new EIP to extend uh, this interface. And specifically, this EIP uh, focuses on uh, expanding the functionality here in two different domains. Um, one is RWAs, and two is kind of like accepting the more kind of modular era we're in now. And so specifically, it makes the yield claims and yield deposits asynchronous, uh, which you just need anytime you're communicating outside of a specific uh, smart contract platform. Uh, the super cool thing here is that we're clearly moving into a modular world where there's just a bunch of different things going on across different smart contract platforms. So we need to evolve this standard uh, to embrace that. And introducing asynchrony here is the key way that we're going to achieve that. Double-clicking into the RWA dimension, though, um, the really uh, exciting thing here is that we can just natively use this as a shoe-in to put uh, yield-bearing RWA assets into the existing DeFi ecosystem. We don't need to rewrite some of these contracts. Many of them are not even upgradable. So if we didn't adopt, <clears throat> if we didn't adopt standards like this, we would not even be able to uh, kind of fit RWAs into it. Uh, like in a backwards compatible manner. But now because we have adopted these standards, what we can do is as we are issuing these assets into the ecosystem at large, uh, it opens the door for us to introduce RWA assets into the existing DeFi protocols that everybody uses and knows. So, you know, like you could see a future where there are, you know, I've seen talk about yield bearing stable coins, uh, for example. So this is the idea of like, all right, Circle is sitting on a bunch of U.S. Treasury bills to collateralize your USDC. Uh, that corporation is making all the yield on those Treasury bills. Uh, can we introduce stable coins that are just natively yield bearing? You can imagine us doing that and fitting that into existing protocols like Curve. So just out of the box, it gives us the opportunity to almost upgrade the entire DeFi uh, ecosystem that is out there today uh, with the like yield that we are seeing from these RWA products. So. This is one specifically we're very excited about right now. Um, and you know, we covered a lot over our AMA uh, with the other teams the other week. Awesome. Maybe we'll have to uh, reply to this uh, tweet with the spaces and link into that if anyone wants to go learn a little bit more. So, yeah, if you're interested in RWAs, uh, keep an eye out because we'll, we'll just link to that talk there and you can listen in. So uh, one more thing to get into would be VMs. And... When we're talking earlier about, oh, interop with Ethereum, it, it really means interop with EVM, uh, which, you know, that, that's other networks as well, but not all of these rollups and layer twos we're seeing are using the EVM now. We're seeing a lot more diversity in that, and people are kind of, you know, building the environment that's more suited to a specific application. So this is kind of that Cosmos app chain thesis as well. But Injective also has different VMs. So, Mirza, you want to give us like a high level overview of? kind of what that means in the injective ecosystem? Yeah, no, for sure. And a lot of this goes back to an earlier question we were chatting about when um, we talked about the history of injective and how we actually began on Ethereum. So what we realized is um, perhaps this is a biased viewpoint to an extent, but Wasm is a much more performance sort of VM layer in general, right? Um, so we decided to adopt um, the Cosm Wasm stack um, for the smart contract environment just because a lot of um, function calls, et cetera, are possible on the Wasm layer. Uh, execution tends to be a bit better on the Wasm layer than on the EVM. However, and there's a huge asterisk, in my opinion, 90% plus of developer mindshare is still on the EVM, right? Um, and recently, um, other VM layers have gotten a lot of 
prominence in my opinion um particularly solana's svm like i think they still have about five to six percent of developer mindshare today uh which is still not insignificant right that's still significant um and what injective really wanted to do is okay we a, a huge portion of our efforts was on how do we make it so that when an application developer or any project or user comes onto Injective, they don't have to be restricted by the tooling available. That's why we worked on things like the MetaMask compatibility or the, or the Ethereum bridging um, so that we can entertain users from all places, whether they be more interested in Ethereum or so on, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and we succeeded very well with our cause and laws and matters today on Injective, you have the most vibrant Cosmos ecosystem, arguably um, all the major dApps in Cosmos or almost all of them uh, rest on Injective in some way, shape or form or interact with Injective in some way, shape or form. Um, but that's only like 35, 40 dApps in total. Even, um, even that alone is not enough to really bring in all the developers. So what we realized um, towards the beginning of last year is we need to work on new VM layers. Um, so we introduced this concept of electro chains. So effectively what this is, is you can now have rollups on Injective that don't really um, go into scalability solutions because Injective as a chain itself is quite scalable, but we wanted to make sort of a rollup or L2 solution that's bespoke for different VM environments. Um, so to date, we've already introduced two on testnet and they're about to go on mainnet very shortly so one is the evm itself which we call in evm or injective evm and one is the injective svm um, so by having these three we now can encompass both wasm developers evm developers and svm developers in one sort of unified network um, which i think will be quite um valuable in the long run, right? So the hope is that uh, developers come in, they, they can easily deploy smart contracts on our EVM layer because they're already familiar with EVM uh, from other ecosystems. Um, they can use it almost as a sandbox environment and then they can also find new ways to compose with Injective's native core modules, such as our on-chain order book or our uh, shared liquidity layer, because that's a, a huge benefit of what Injective is able to offer. Um, so yeah, we'll, we will be rolling out both EVM and SVM on mainnet um, shortly in the upcoming months. Um, and you'll sort of be able to see a lot of this in fruition, sort of how these applications can all interact under one roof. Um, so they're not restricted right now or have these PVP wars right now, which I think a lot of layer one protocols go through. It's like, no WASM is better or EVM is better or move is better. In our opinion, like it doesn't matter. It's what more so, can the developer actually build something that they want and they can the users use something that they want and i think all the vms have different sets of unique properties and promise and value so restricting users based on uh evm or sorry vm in general uh or what vm they choose doesn't seem conducive to growth in general so um that's the route we've chosen and um it, it's panning out quite well um in terms of just before it was all about just being multi-chain and when people say multi-chain they usually mean having different bridging solutions but in my opinion to have true multi-chain sort of composability you also need composability between different vm layers um, to not only introduce new users but also to introduce new developers to your ecosystem so yeah th that's injective sort of vm playbook on a high level that's great i really agree with that uh, really agree with that point of view that you shouldn't be worrying about, you know, from a user perspective, uh, what VM am I, is this app that I'm using? What, what's it built on? Talking UX, if, I, if the user ever has to think about the infrastructure underneath, something probably went wrong. You know, they, they should never have to think about that stuff. And it's very exciting that the SVM and the Solana Mindshare has grown to a point where it kind of demands a seat at the table in terms of development and uh, composability when looking at interoperability solutions. So very exciting for Solana world there. And uh, from the Omni network point of view, I mean, how, how does this kind of change the playbook when you have to connect to all these different VMs? I mean, just in the ETHL2 world, uh, we don't even have the same accounting model. Like some of these are using UTXOs and things are very different. So with all these heterogeneous architectures, how does that affect you know, the, the path that Omni Network is taking to be composable and to interop with all these different ecosystems and VMs. Yeah, 100%. So uh, 
I think the perspective that we maintain is actually uh, quite, it's very pragmatic in the sense that we're not thinking about end users here. We're really thinking about expanding the developer audience when we think about different VMs. No end user is going to care what virtual machine is running under the hood. Do you do you think about whether a website that you access is, you know, using Windows or Linux? No, you don't. Like I like I'm an engineer and I don't even do that. So like nobody is going to be thinking about these things. So really, uh, when you think about it, it's it's a go to market for expanding to the, the developer audience. And so, like I said, we started working on Omni about a year and a half ago um, and we went just pretty deep on the kind of like what the future of the roll up infrastructure was going to look like. Um, one uh, one key insight from that is just like you are decoupling the computation from this kind of shared settlement layer here. And so that opens up the opportunity for new VM layers. So even though back then I think Fuel was probably the only one that had any mind share about like being a roll-up that did not run the EVM, uh, we knew this was going to proliferate because it's simply like if you look at the market incentives, there's a huge opportunity to expand uh the uh, developer market by introducing a roll-up with a new VM. You know, uh, if people are trying to attract developers from the SWE or Aptos ecosystem, you can launch a move VM. Uh, and so that's just, if you like, if you think about it in a go-to-market sense, and we thought about that like very deeply as we were designing this product, the, there is a clear incentive there for people to introduce new VMs to the Ethereum ecosystem. So we very intentionally designed Omni in a way uh, that it doesn't care what VM is uh, running on these different rollups. It's 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 entirely agnostic. It can work with uh, any of these rollups independent uh, of what virtual machine uh, is going. Because at the end of the day, we're just looking at state updates. It has nothing to do with the computation. It's just the resulting state updates. And so I think this is personally uh, a huge growth opportunity for crypto at large, but also within the Ethereum ecosystem where we can build new rollup platforms that, sure, the EVM... Uh, has a ton of mindshare right now within crypto world, but like there, the majority of developers in the world uh, have no idea what it is like to program in Solidity. So there are even some rollups that are doing things like building a Linux VM. And I think this is necessary to really expand the addressable uh, developer market that is out there. And so, yeah, we, we very intentionally built Omni in a way where, you know, not only can this work uh, with all these different uh, platforms, but it also has a permissionless interoperability angle to it. So Validators can opt into uh, attesting to state updates for these new rollups. And really, you just need to create like a simple interface on each of these uh, rollups that says like, okay, shoot this message out to the rest of the network. And that like is not many lines of code at all. So it's extremely agile. And like, again, this came back to like trying to understand the future of the infrastructure space, like at a very deep, like technical level, and then baking go-to-market strategies uh natively into the actual architecture of the network itself. So it's actually purpose built for like a, a multi VM future, which really today, again, like this was a year and a half ago, but we're seeing this play out uh, today. And I think it's only going to accelerate. Yeah, man. Awesome point of view. This is a growth opportunity, not a complexity issue to worry about. Uh, I, I love that stance on it. So now's the time if you're in the audience, if you got a question, raise your hand. I'll give you all a minute to do that while I ask Austin and Mirza, our speakers, you know, if you just want the listeners to remember one thing or just, you know, keep one thing in mind of what is being built on your networks, what's coming, what just came out, what's the most exciting thing to you? Just just a, a quick word on that before we go to questions. Yeah, I, I can go first and uh, I'll let Austin chime in too. Um, on our end, yeah, some of the stuff we talked touched on uh, during this conversation. I think last year was a lot of building for Injective. I think this year will be the year of launches on Injective. Um, so you've already seen um, a lot of dApps launching. I, I see some of them uh, on this call too, like Neptune went live with the first lending market on Injective yesterday. Um, you're going to see a lot more DeFi primitives being built on Injective, whether that be uh, in the options realm, in the prediction markets realm, um, just general uh, LSD infra, um, so very excited to see some of that in the upcoming months. Obviously, very, very excited to see also the different VMs go live on mainnet, uh, because effectively that will allow a legion of new applications to come on board onto Injective, the broader Cosmos ecosystem that weren't available before. Um, and then finally, keep an eye out on sort of Injective and its work with Ardo There's a lot of cool things that are happening behind the scenes, just 
Um, just know that these things take time, especially when you, uh, working with institutions or, or trapped by organizations. But um, yeah, I, I think this can be a cool year where you see a lot of actual real adoption, not just within Injective, but in Web3 as a whole. So um, I'm very excited about that in general. Awesome. Austin, uh, you share, and then we'll have Mr. Bash on here to ask a question. Cool. Uh, yeah, so last year we ran two testnets. This year we're going to release our third testnet and mainnet. But the most important thing that I think people should take away from this is really we're introducing a new paradigm for the future of the roll-up ecosystem as a whole. Uh, we're going to tie all these together in a neutral way. Previously, interop companies and like networks have shoot or like attempted to become TCP IP. And fundamentally, that is a flawed strategy. Our strategy here is to be the Starlink. We are to, aiming to be the infrastructure that is actually facilitating the passing of all these messages around. And that's just going to create a better foundation for the entire ecosystem to flourish because there's no proprietary lock-in there at the end of the day. We're going to establish the TCP IP equivalent in crypto as an open standard. Nobody is going to own it. And what we're doing behind the scenes is creating the most performant product to actually facilitate those messages getting passed around the Ethereum ecosystem at large. So uh, we have an upcoming testnet. Everybody stay tuned for that. But really, that's the main thing that I want to introduce like people to take away from this is we've been thinking about this wrong. Historically, Interop has uh, screwed over the space in many ways. We have literally lost over a billion dollars, I think, directly to North Korea because of these design decisions, and we're changing that this year. Awesome. Love the spirit with the open standards that you know you guys hold so closely. So, uh, Mr. Bash, thanks for listening. You want to uh, you know, ask your question, whoever it's for? Jim, 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 everyone. Yeah, um, I actually have a little contribution. Like, um, a question was thrown to me, sir. Uh, oh, Mr. thank you for everything I've been doing as the head of business development for Injective. So I just want to add a little bit on Injective full and upgrade. Actually, what Injective full and upgrade comprises, it comprises of a lot of innovation and technology. So I wrote a trend for the 15 feature of Injective full and upgrade. So after the Injective full and upgrade was passed, now Injective is now a deflationary token. It makes Injective to become a deflationary token. Injective will never reach its maximum supply. And apart from that, the gas charges on Injective before is usually at 0.002 ing so it is now reduced to like three cents now like about 0.0001 ing and the speed of injective blockchain before it actually take 0.8 seconds to make a block but now that has been reduced like it is now like five times faster and currently Injective supporting in EVM, in SVM. And before the full-out upgrade, Injective is interoperable with about 15 chains. But now, it is now interoperable with the total 50-plus chain on Cosmos IBC, whereby it's interoperable with Ethereum, interoperable with BNB, interoperable with Solana. When PIT, or popularly called PIT, came, Injective integrated with PIT to actually make PIT available on Injective from Solana to Injective. So a lot of like Fulan upgrade, if we should talk about Fulan upgrade, we, we will talk from, on Fulan upgrade alone for more than five hours. Yeah, 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 a very big shout out to the Injective team and everyone. So I just have to add that people to know about um, what Fulan Upgrade actually bring to Injective. Thank you for giving me the mic. Yeah, thank you. So, um, I mean, maybe a question, Mirza, would be, you know, of, of all those features Mr. Bass just mentioned, of all those changes, what's, what's the part, the one that excites you most about Volan? Is it, you know, supply pressures, VMs, like, you know, what's the most exciting to you? Um, for me, it's it's the RW module, I have to say. I think that just, uh, if you really look under the hood, it took 
the longest to build out internally. Um, so I have to put that one up top just because it just not only opens up um, injected to a lot more institutional use cases, but actual sort of adoption of RWA. So yeah, I'll pick that one, but I appreciate the summary. I think Mr. Batch gave a better summary than I did. So I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff there. All right, Ace, I just pulled you up. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for asking your question. What do you got? Yo, uh, it's been an amazing space. I mean, I've been waiting for this for the longest, right? So um, I'm the kind of person that likes to, you know, do my own research and learn a little bit about um, integrations happening on Injective because, I mean, we've had like the greatest, um, we've had like the best partnerships and the best integrations in in the last one year or so. And I mean, with, with everything that we're doing here, I mean, it's only a matter of time before we take over the blockchain space. Right, so I think I do understand what Omni Network is trying to do, um, especially um, integrating um, Injective, right? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I have like a proper understanding. Now that we have a, should I say someone who has like a better understanding of it, I'm maybe an engineer here. I would like to know, like, how does this, you know, serve um, injective liquidity-wise and all? Because I know um, Omni, Omni Network is basically um, a restricted a restrict, um, blockchain, right, that is um, actually going to be, you know, unifying fragmented liquidity and, of course, um, unifying a lot of roll-ups, uh, roll-ups, right? So how does this serve injective liquidity-wise? And, of course, like, um, what, what opportunities will... Uh, injective likely appropriates from these partnerships. I want to just get like um, um, the, the 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 best explanation ever. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming up and uh, asking the question. So, uh, just to reiterate, I'm pretty sure uh, what we're looking for here is like how how does Omni relate to restaking? How does this factor into the architecture? And with that architecture in mind, how does that relate to the injective ecosystem? Um, so. To address the first point, the restaking architecture comes from the fact that we are able to derive crypto economic security from the Ethereum network itself. Uh, this is how we are able to achieve security properties far beyond what the space has been able to achieve properly or previously. Uh, and that's because uh, before people were trying to just spin up their own networks that were secured by their own token. And so this not only leads to lower amounts of security, it leads to more volatile amounts of security. Um, and again, like I, I think maybe uh, this has come through in my responses, but like I'm like a very product oriented co-founder of this network. Uh, we really think about that in terms of scalability of the network. Like we are trying to build the solution that solves this for Ethereum. And if you are trying to solve something uh, for a network at the scale of Ethereum, uh, you need to have uh, an extreme uh, kind of like upper cap here. And if you are just uh, securing an interop solution with uh, a new token that you create, it's not going to be able to uh, keep up with the scale of the Ethereum ecosystem. So we actually derive that security directly from uh, Ethereum itself. So that's to answer your first question in regards to uh, the injective ecosystem. Really, this is, uh, you know, uh, diving into similar to what Mirza has been saying about the, the modules in the uh, injective ecosystem, I feel like you can almost think about those as similar to the EIPs that uh, we're pushing throughout the kind of like modular Ethereum ecosystem here. So XERC20, the specific one that allows liquidity for assets to be flowed seamlessly across different rollups. And so by adopting the XERC20 standard, this uh, allows, uh, just given the scale of injective uh, that they've achieved so far, um, this not only is a very like performant blockchain itself, uh, but the asset itself uh, has hit a scale where, uh, you know, it can be used in uh, other DeFi protocols. It can be used as collateral. You know, you can uh, think about it as like using it as collateral to borrow against if you want to borrow other crypto assets, maybe, <laughs> maybe you know, open a leverage position, or you can do something like collateralize a stable coin uh, with INJ. And so the whole initiative here really is about expanding accessibility uh, to that liquidity in a way that is fast, performant, and provides for the best user experience by uh, providing a zero slippage uh, experience when whenever you're moving that asset around. Awesome, great questions. We've got time for one more, Venterius. Uh, you know, get up here, let us know what you got, and uh, thank you for asking a question. Let's hear. Awesome. Can you hear me? Yep. 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 Awesome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, well, I really don't have anything huge as far as questions pertaining to the, the Omni or the Injective 
uh, ecosystems. Uh, it was an awesome panel. Um, and I thank you guys for dropping Jim. So my question is actually for Omni, and it's actually regarding to well, awesome. I would I would love to be able to share some insights and things like regarding marketing. But actually, I'm a popular position, but I would love to just regardless, I would love to share some stuff with marketing. I think you, what you guys are doing is awesome, and um, I'm a big fan of the project that you guys are working on and, and the way you're working to develop the ecosystem. And I want to be able to support in some manner. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, man. I've seen you reply to a number of my tweets, and I uh, appreciate you making the space today. So, what are the best ways to get involved? You get that testnet coming up, right? People can uh, use that. Will it be open, or is this like closed beta testnet? Uh, no, I mean, from our perspective, the whole point of a testnet is to try and break the network, try to get as close as possible to mainnet uh as you can in a testnet you know so previously we had over four hundred thousand users we processed over seven and a half million transactions the whole goal of why we're running these testnets is to just get organic stress testing of the network before it hits prod and so we will have a third one here and uh you know von vontarius like shout out to anybody else in the audience as well we're hiring for uh really across product engineering marketing uh bd like we are really scaling up our team. We doubled the size of our team in Q4 and we're planning to do it again in Q1 here. And so, uh, yeah, you know, if you're interested in what we're building, uh, you can just search Omni Network Careers and our page will come up. Uh, we're trying to grow aggressively here, not only from a product traction perspective, but uh, increasing our internal firepower to achieve these goals. So uh, would love to have anybody who's interested in joining us uh, sh shoot over an application. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely go check out those roles. And you heard it here. Let's let's try to break the test net. Max Chaos. Yeah, 100%. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Austin. Thank you, Mirza. Thank you to everyone who is listening and those who ask questions. Uh, keep your eyes out. We got some big things coming. And uh, that's all we've got for today. Thank you, everybody, thank you for, for joining. Yeah, thank you for being a great host. Yeah, thank you, Red. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Catch you all around. Alright, everybody have a good one here. Thank you for joining. Bye. Motherfucker screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and plate Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless Trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets Dead ants dragging out the max amount of payments Red down days Got them acting all bankless Yo fam, what? Check these tokenomics They probing this bear Flexing broken honest I had to lay my soul down I'm just roasting knotters And then to end a long day Eleven bowls of chronic Never known the politic I was born to frolic It's been my policy To pollinate all over the plot We got a lot of apologists Jumping in at the top We like to measure their velocity Before they hit rock bottom Over impossible loss It's all moss And I'm liking the odds Fondue in the morning Forming mycological bonds Click the cap, yo the road is highly involved Flip a coin, diary fall Motherfuckers screaming out loud Looking for mercy Before they find themselves Working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first Before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures Under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy While the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max Amount of dinner lace Stacked in non-toxic Just to get a better place Smacking on the Hostage, like the shit is played for keeps clowns, white knight, and all these Maybelines. They call it implausible when model after model keeps on ripping off the coat and going full throttle. Beats tearing apart your community. All these low hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity. Got a planet in reach, coming standard to each. I'm on the back ten stargazing after the siege, commanding all the management to grab a few seats and then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger east. Y'all better sign a release when I'm bumping these beats. Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets yo we got a few dubs we got a couple defeats and if you're coming for the king you better have some of each motherfuckers fuckers screaming out loud looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in jersey what could be worse misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs i'll be numbing up first before discovering what works and we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt we rape and plunder the earth say and wonder about the worth and play ring around the rosy while the thunder is served
Thank you.